Welcome to Sisters Inc., our podcast for and about women business owners, brought to you by Black Enterprise. I'm your host, Elisa Gumps. Black women are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in the country. And on every episode of Sisters Inc., we'll sit down with one successful CEO and share how she slays the challenges of being a Black woman in business. Today's episode is all about protecting our mental health. We're chatting with Wilma May Basta, the founder and CEO of Dark Beauty, a digital platform and online community that helps women of color on their journey to well-being. When the pandemic hit, it dedicated itself to provide 10,000 hours of free therapy to create generational healing in our communities. Welcome to Sisters Inc. Wilma, and thanks so much for sitting down with us today. Absolute honor. Thank you for having me. I love the origin story of your company um, in that it was sparked from a conversation you had with your daughter about real problems that real Black women have when dealing with the beauty industry. How did you get the idea for Dark Beauty? Well, let's see if I can make this into a fairly short uh, story because it's kind of had a lot of twists and turns over the years. Um, but um, I, I lived in the UK for almost 30 years. Um, I, I, I left America in 1990 and went to study abroad, but ended up meeting my first husband, getting married, having children, building a career in PR, um, changing careers, getting remarried. Um, and, you know, it's just been kind of a, uh, a long roundabout way to get back to America. But one of the things that I uh, was thinking about, about uh, this is probably about five years ago, was around the fact that women of color were still um, not thriving in the way that I know I wanted to thrive, but also I could see, especially around the world, we're not, we, were, we were getting more voice because of the internet, but voicing more issues and problems that I, I had thought over time would have been solved, right? I thought over time that these would have gotten better, but I, I felt that it was a time for a turning point in my life. Um, and I felt that I wanted to, what, whatever I chose to do was going to be in support of women of color and helping them to thrive, however that turned out, right? And so, you know, I, 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 my daughter and I were talking about this. We were talking about how, you know, every time we look at brands and um, every time we buy things, either the, you know, whether it's like a hair product where, you know, sometimes you go into hair supply stores and the products are the branding for them is kind of a pastiche of what black women are supposed to be. It's like everything smells like pineapple and, <laughs> and, and has kind of like Caribbean colors or as the Brits would say, Caribbean. And, um, you know, or, you know, you have other brands who, you know, consumer mainstream consumer brands who really don't include us and they don't know how to. There's actually like, they don't understand us. And, and a lot of brands think of us as monoliths, like, you know, we must all be sort of ghetto dwelling hip hop loving people, right? There's no, there's no diversity in who we are and where we come from and what we do and the paths that we have taken, the paths that our ancestors have taken for some of us to be even in the places we are. And, you know, you, you feel it, it's visceral. 
And, and yet you have to move in these spaces. And I, and I thought, well, why don't brands even like try? And why do they keep getting it wrong? Like, why do these fashion brands keep messing up and, and, and doing things without thought? Because these companies don't do things without thought. And it was, it was this conversation I was having with my daughter that I thought, okay, well, I need to sort of see, at the time I thought my beauty is non-negotiable, right? And my beauty is not just who I am on the outside. My beauty is everything who I am on the inside. And I want someone, a brand who wants my money to support me in succeeding and thriving. And so I didn't see that in the world. All I could see was let's target this market and having worked in PR for well over a decade, I understand how consumer brands think, okay? So it's, let's target this market. They're our demographic. Let's talk to them so we can sell them the product. And I feel that's an antiquated way of marketing, frankly. If you're not supporting the people that you want to buy your product, to me, that's bad marketing. And so I thought, what way is it? I mean, there's no way for brands to really learn about the different demographics. There isn't a way. Hiring an agency that specializes in, you know, helping brands connect to black people, it excludes everyone else, other women of color, right? And who gets to be in the club of being black? Okay, how black are you? <laughs> and are you part of the mix? And so there were all these questions that I had. And so I thought this is a really interesting challenge and one that I would love to try and figure out. And so I, I closed my then uh, vintage business, which is another uh, career turn of mine that I did for about 15 years. And I spent about nine months researching, um, looking at the data, looking at you know, what was going on in with different brands, talking to brands, talking to women of color, talking to black women, you know, finding out statistics like black women are actually the most brand loyal women in America. Well, if that's the case, why are not, why aren't brands really trying to understand this? To be fair, some brands are, I'm not saying every single brand. Okay. I think that what um, AC Eggleston Bracey is doing over at Dove and Shea Moisture at Unilever is phenomenal. And the Crown Act, I think is, just amazing, um, but uh, by and large, many brands don't really get us and they have no intention of getting us or understanding us or supporting us. So I, I kind of, I looked at this for nine months and then um, I decided to move back to New York in 2017. I spent the next two years kind of developing what this platform would look like. I had the iterations of it, which was gonna be a community-based platform for women of color to find your tribe, your niche, you know, the women. I love skiing, for example. I would like to find and connect with the other women of color who love skiing. Um, some women love travel, right? So this would be that kind of platform. And the idea would be that we would work with consumer brands uh, to bed themselves into particular tribes. And when I say bed in, they would ideally pay for the privilege of of being able to sit and live within that, let's call it a tribe. But the, the tribe itself would benefit financially from 
the, the, the brand being in there, they would hear the conversations, they would take part in um, the content, et cetera, but the, brand, but the tribe would invite them in as well, right? And so that brand not only would learn about the tribe, but they would support them. So just to give you an example, it could be there was a travel tribe and let's say we were working with a luggage brand. That luggage brand would say, okay, we're gonna pay an X amount of money to, to sit with this tribe for a year. Uh, the tribe would get a percentage of that fee. And then uh, that brand would, let's say, um, in addition to sort of being part of the, the content and the conversations, they would also do something, let's say, set up a foundation to help women of color to, to travel for the first time, to help them get passports, to help them um, figure out what their first itinerary is going to look like, and then to help and subsidize uh, their, their uh, travels abroad for the first time. That way, the benefit wins in the relationship. The brand wins because they're actually really learning about what goes on in these communities. And they can actually then, instead of selling them products, they can support them. And of course, once you support women of color, they're going to buy your product. For life. For life. <laughs> so. You, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. So that was the original idea was, was what I was going to say. You just shared that this isn't your first company. Um, and you've said before that you've experienced some failure as an entrepreneur. How did you bounce back from that and find the fearlessness to try again? First of all, lick your wounds. Take a little time, have a little pity party, right? You know, don't, you know, but then you gotta, what else are you gonna do? You gotta pick yourself up. And then you also have to reframe how you think about failure. Um, you know, the, the, the failure, like a lot of these things, and I still have to work with these as a, a 54 year old woman, but the way that I try and think about things is like, okay, that didn't work or what can I learn from that? And I have to sit with myself. I've got to meditate. I've got to, like I said, I've got to sometimes go a little bit into my hole, have a little pity party for a small amount of time and then go, okay, what do I learn? How can I pick myself up again? And how can I move forward? And um, because I realized that ultimately the whole point of life itself is learning. And learning doesn't just come by being successful. In fact, some of the most successful businessmen will tell you that it's through their failures that they've learned. So, uh, you know, it's no point in me going, well, you know, I'm 54, so I'm just gonna give up hope now. And that's that done because I'm too old or some, some crap like that. That's not me. So that's how I deal with it. And failure to me is not, like, I don't know, the word failure, I think sometimes our language gets limited. My son and I were talking about that today. Um, there's a, a, a late thinker by the name of Christopher Hitchens who talked about um, abuse and that that's just not the word, that's it's, the English word doesn't cover what abuse is, right? And I think the same thing around failure. Failure, we, we, we find ways to beat ourselves up and to bring ourselves down and that's unnecessary. We just go, you know what? That didn't work out. What I have learned from that, how can I learn so I can pick myself up to do better the next time? And that's that's how I do it. You also shared that in the past, you felt like there wasn't a lot of help available to you as a black woman entrepreneur when you were first starting out. What was the startup process like for you this time around? And do you think that there's more support now for black women entrepreneurs? Oh my gosh, this is such a a big question. Um, I don't think there's enough help still. I think that um, 
when George Floyd was murdered, we saw this rush of companies to put up black squares, to tell everybody how much they you know, support black people and black lives matter and, and um, you know, and set up new diversity initiatives and give a bunch of money to black folks to help them with business. You know, and, you know, I remember one company and I, I, am I allowed to name names or should I not? But um, let's not for now. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, a major company actually said um, they were going to put in um, tens of millions of dollars for uh, black entrepreneurs to and and if you actually if you actually kind of estimated how many people that would go to. And if you read the fine print, you realize that really they were only gonna be deploying maybe uh, a few thousand dollars per person. Now, that amount of money, a few thousand dollars per person for one person trying to start a business isn't, isn't gonna be really anything to help us and not sustainable. And also it isn't long-term. And all that money does is give them a really great amount of PR. And I have a problem with that, right? I have a problem with that because it was, re- it was reactionary. It wasn't um, anything that's going to help us in the long-term. And I, I, I value the companies who took their time to respond and to give it thought and to really look at how can we help people of color, not just women of color, long-term. And there were very few companies that did that because they were also frightened of not being part of the herd to say something at that time. Or even if they did say something to say, we understand, we, we wanna learn we're going to take some time. We're going to think about this and we're going to circle back to you with something substantial. And that's, and that's just company responses, right? I think that there could be better support of founders of color in the startup space, in, in the venture capital space. Uh, I think that in the venture capital space, my experience over the last four years has been that most VCs waste your time. And there are way too many women of color out here trying to raise money than the amount of money that they're prepared to actually give to women of color. So the dynamic is such that you end up what I call tap dancing for a lot of investors when really they have zero intention of investing in you, investing in you and they wanna actually use your time to find out what's going on in the space. And this is, this is a, it's an ego thing. They want to look good to other investors. And um, they also want to just kind of do some like digging around as to like who's doing what. And I've seen it over and over again. I have heard many founders talk about this. Uh, I have literally flown all over the country to see investors and, and they take your meetings, right? They take your meetings and you get really excited. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get in the door. And then they ghost you, they either ghost you, right? Or don't give you like constructive feedback. Um, I've turned down several investors as well um, because I knew that the partnership, they didn't understand what we were doing. They didn't understand the dynamic between uh, 
you know, they didn't understand this dynamic between maybe a white investor and a black woman and that, and you could sense that that was gonna be a problem moving forward. So there have been times where I've turned, turned money down. And so the, the startup space is, I think, um, I think there are people who are really, really lucky when they have something that's very tangible that people can really get their heads around like this. And this, what I'm doing was new, is new, has not been done before. So it takes a leap of faith, I get that. But either way, I was prepared to kind of do this build traction to my business. And, um, and then we ended up pivoting. Well, speaking of that pivot, Dark Beauty takes a holistic view of beauty and wellness, hence the focus on mental health. Um, you've been really candid in the past about sharing your own personal mental health journey. Can you share part of that with us, um, but specifically how it informs what you do now? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, 11 years ago, uh, I was diagnosed with severe depression. I didn't know what depression was. I'd heard about it. I didn't think that was for me. I didn't think that happened to black folks. And um, I didn't, know the signs and I was, but I was crumbling and to the point where I couldn't get out of bed. And uh, I was hospitalized. I was hospitalized in a psychiatric hospital in London for six weeks, it was that bad. And I'd been spiraling for some time and I just didn't know what it was. Uh, my, my depression was situational right? Some people suffer from depression that is, um, you know, is something that's either it's genetic or, you know, they, everyone has different reasons for why, why they suffer from depression or anxiety or any other mental health uh, issue. But suffice to say, mine was severe enough for me to have been hospitalized voluntarily. I, I often say it was both the worst time in my life and the best, because again, it was the massive learning uh, opportunity. I not only learned a lot about myself, I learned a lot about mental health. I learned about the different types of ways that people suffer firsthand. Um, the the kinds of people who suffer, which is everyone, it just doesn't discriminate. I saw the place that I was in, which was not some expensive, like, you know, hoity-toity place. This was all people of all different uh, backgrounds, creeds, colors, uh, you know, socioeconomic status from Hollywood celebrities, right down to women who were formerly homeless. Um, and that's an eye-opener. That is an eye-opener. And, and it changed my life. And when I came out, I realized I needed to reinvent what my life looked like because it wasn't working. And nobody else was going to figure that out but me. But as a woman of color, whether in Europe, or elsewhere in America, it's really hard to find the things that are gonna help you to heal and to thrive. That understands, I was just learning about the trauma that I was carrying. 
which went far deeper than just the situation I was in. And that has been a decade long journey and continues. And that is when, when COVID happened and I realized we'd only just launched Dark Beauty, the original version of it three months earlier with just you know it's a blog and a Instagram account. And we were on our roadmap to building traction and then lockdown. And I felt that towards the end of March, 2020, that we needed to do more than just share content on Instagram, that we needed to do something tangible. And I had the idea one morning that we should give away free therapy. I had no idea how we were gonna do that, but that's what I said, let's, let's figure out how to do that. And that's what we did. And then May the 15th, we launched Dark Beauty Healing, uh, where we now give away free therapy to women of color across America. So what are some of the other things? Because I know in addition to giving away free therapy, the company has a, a number of other initiatives that help women protect their mental health. Yeah, this is the exciting bit for me because the in my journey, once I got out of hospital, I was like, okay, what are the things that are going to work for me? Therapy's great, but if I'm really honest, it's not my go-to because I need solutions. I need answers and I'm not, the kind of person that wants to sit for years in a chair. It works for a lot of people. Like for some people, that's their thing. And I get that. So I started to explore other modalities from Ayurvedic medicine to energy healing. The Hoffman process is one of the things I did. Um, all of these amazing things. And again, I had to kind of go out on like an adventure to discover these things. So one of the things when we decided to do a formal pivot into mental health and wellness, the way that Dark Beauty wants to work now is how do we support the mental health and wellness of women of color and help them build their own unique well-being journey by introducing them and supporting them with uh, other modalities, other uh, ways of thinking about your mental health, your well-being in a way that doesn't actually exist out there in the world today. So we've done some work with uh, the Hoffman Institute, which is a week long, they have a process, which is this week long um, process journey to really going deep into your healing. And uh, it was really transformational for me when I did it um, about 11, 12 years ago. And about 11, yes. And we teamed up to offer a Hoffman virtual weekend uh, through Dark Beauty Healing, uh, which was a real eye-opener, really uh, amazing and transformational for the group that took it. We are looking at uh, expanding ways to, uh, to work with them. We also, um, we just finished our first cohort of something called the Inner Tribe, which is run by uh, one of our clinicians, Melissa Gooden. And it's, we are, we're testing out different things right now. And the inner tribe is really a cohort of women in a non-clinical setting uh, to really support each other and to go through uh, a three month process uh, that we, that is grounded by one of our licensed clinicians. And so that's just come to an end. And so we're assessing that and looking at how we can roll out more of those. Um, we have some other exciting things that are coming up this year. 
we're bringing in, I started my own podcast looking and interviewing uh, uh, different practitioners that I've experienced, uh, different ways that other people I know, other women of color are healing and continue to heal uh, through different ways. And, uh, and as we move forward, because we now have a nonprofit uh, which is still continuing to, to deliver free therapy. We will expand on that with other modalities. And then on our for-profit side, over the next few months, we will be um, rolling out some new ways that uh, women of color can tap into to uh, create their own healing journey. Black women and mental health have been all over the news lately, whether it's Naomi Osaka or Simone Biles or uh, Lizzo most recently. And I think the thing that is different for me this time around um, that like glaringly is how brands have been responding to them that uh, Simone Biles Olympic sponsors stayed with her and the Calm app paid for Naomi Osaka's fines. As an entrepreneur in the space, do you feel that the conversation is changing? Um, and is this moment presenting an opportunity for dark beauty to engage brands in a different way? Yes, excellent question. Um, this is the beginning of a tidal wave. Brands know this. They knew this last year. They knew this before. You know, people sometimes don't want to move or to grow because it's hard. Brands are the same way. If, 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 given, if given the opportunity, people might stay rooted and stuck because it's comfortable. So when you heal as a person, it's messy. It's not neat. It's not clean. It's not orderly. Brands like to be orderly until they're pushed into a space where they need to roll with the punches because otherwise they're gonna get left behind. And that's what we're seeing now. They're starting to go, we gotta really put up or shut up. And we're moving into a different paradigm the world as we knew it no longer exists, nor will it. And so we are having conversations ourselves. We worked with SoulCycle last year in the run-up to the election to support their employees of color with the clinicians in our network in these group healing sessions. Uh, we are having conversations with leading multinational companies not only to support employees, but to work with them on the next steps from a consumer facing point of view. Because no matter what you're selling, no matter who you're targeting, if you're not supporting mental health of people of color, of women of color, by the way, we're all gonna be majority minority soon, then you're not, you're not you, you have no business being here, frankly. I'm, I'm very, very uh, open about that. I think that this is an opportunity to go just beyond diversity. This is about how do we actually really support humans? 
how do we, instead of just selling stuff, because frankly, as we can see what's going on in the world on so many levels, we need to support humans. We need to be better. And brands are starting to understand this and trying to figure it out. And I'm here for that. Thank you so much, Wilma, for sharing your small business success story. Everyone out there, please take a look at the company website. This is darkbeauty.com, and dark is spelled D-R-K, no A. You can also follow them on Instagram at thisisdarkbeauty. Check out the podcast channel on blackenterprise.com to find Sisters, Inc. and more podcasts from Black Enterprise writers, editors, and experts. Be sure to subscribe to Sisters, Inc. on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or YouTube. And if you like what you hear, show your love by leaving us a five-star review or put a sister on by spreading the word. This is Elisa Gums with Sisters, Inc. for Black Enterprise. Thank you for listening. <laughs>